Please take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 5. This morning I want to focus our attention on verses 15 to 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. This is a very important text in the solidifying of the doctrine of eternal security in the hearts of all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. As we have been studying through this, we have already heard from the Holy Spirit in chapter 5, and that has already filled our hearts with great comfort and settledness that quite possibly maybe we didn't have before. And these verses before us now are the capstone to all of that. So allow me to read for us verses 12 to 21, even though we're just going to look at verses 15 to 21. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if, by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as those or so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, Even so, the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's ask the Lord to... Prepare our hearts for this. Heavenly Father, we once again bow before you. We know we need your help in our understanding. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. Your understanding far exceeds anything we could ever understand. And so we need your help. Lord, this morning as we approach your word, help us to understand the implications, the principles, the truth of what you are saying to us here so that we would, in fact, be restful in our security in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We come to this section with already having in our minds an understanding that there is a great comparison that is being made between our natural relationship with Adam and the spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. There are parallels that the Apostle Paul highlights and there are contrasts. And I guess the the greatest of all the contrasts that we must understand from this entire passage is this. Through Adam, came guilt and death, death physically and death spiritually. Guilt covers all of that. 
through Adam came guilt and death. By way of comparison or contrast through Christ comes innocence and life. Spiritual life. Eternal life. Notice verses 17 and 18. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. In verse 18, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Now, I trust that you Remember what I said last Lord's Day about answering those who may come with the refutation that they do not believe that they are guilty before God. Oftentimes when we share the gospel, when we're out talking, maybe in, the co- in our workplace or maybe just with friends and neighbors, we're talking about the gospel and they deny the reality of guilt before God or that there is coming a day when, in fact, they will also be judged by God. They deny that fact. The answer to that kind of deception is the reality of what we all gained through Adam. We all die. If you want to say that you're not going to be guilty before God or that the day of judgment is not going to come, then prove that you will not die. Adam is the reason we all die. And the proof that all people throughout all of history are guilty before God and will be held accountable before God is the undeniable fact that all people die. Death is universal. It is the great equalizer in the created world. In fact, It says something to us even about the character of God. I was thinking about this this morning, even as we were singing the song uh, about God and about His character and then reading in Psalm 24 about the very character of God and the unchangeableness of God, that God is faithful. We we, We sang, great is thy faithfulness. Great is your reliability to be trusted in all things. That's the idea. God can be trusted to do what He says He's going to do because God always does what He says He's going to do. And we see that reality all the way from the beginning of creation when He said to Adam and Eve, don't do this, don't do this, or this will happen. And when they did it, it happened. You can be rest assured that God always does what He says. Death is universal because God said it would happen if you disobeyed. This reality is based upon the truth of God's holy word. It cannot change. We know we're not there yet, but in Romans chapter 6, we use these verses oftentimes even in our own evangelism. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 clearly says to us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Our Lord, there you have the contrast. There you have the reality of that. Death proves guilt. The all of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is a universal all. It is all of humanity. All must be guilty of sin. Why? Because all are going to die. No one gets to escape that. But there is another truth that many refuse to embrace. And that is the opposite, the the contrast to the reality of death. And that is the innocence before God that only comes by means of the gift of God's righteousness given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Some like to deny the fact that judgment is coming, and yet they go along and deny the fact or try to acknowledge the fact that somehow they can become acceptable to God even though they are guilty. They deny that anyone could be innocent before God. 
Many people have trouble with that truth. They say, in essence, how could the act of one man be enough to save many people? In answer to that kind of question, the Apostle Paul highlights the parallels between Adam and Christ. In other words, there is no need to be at all surprised that the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, could save many through his one act. Why? Because we see the principle already in light. We see it already enacted out. How? All men die. Because of one sin. The reality of guilt upon all of the created order came because of Adam's sin. Even those who do not act in the same way as Adam acted still die because Adam sinned. Adam's one act, Adam's one sin ushered in guilt upon all men universally. Therefore, all sinned in Adam. And therefore, all of us continue to sin, even in our own very lives now. That same principle of one affecting the many can be applied both ways. It can be applied and is applied from Adam to us and it can be applied from Jesus Christ to the many. Some people say, well, how, how does that work? I have a hard time with this idea of, of general guilt before God overall just because Adam sinned. Why am I held responsible for someone else working in that way? And the answer to that is the federal headship of, of Adam for all of humanity as God saw it in the economy. You say, well, I don't, I don't agree with federal headship. Well, then why do you live in a country by which our president, whoever that is, can go to another country and make agreements with the other country that all of us are held accountable to? We weren't there. We didn't say anything. We signed no paper. But the consequences will be on us all. It's no different. It's no different. And so, Paul says, in the economy of God and the theological realm of God and the understanding of our humanity before God and the economy of salvation before God, death spread to many through one, and so too righteousness can spread to many through one. So don't think it's strange. Don't think that principle is strange. Now, as we look at this, we have to keep some factors in mind. We have to keep some things clear as you go through this passage or you're going to get your, your head tied up in knots trying to figure out exactly who Paul's talking about, what he's meaning by the many and the all and the all and the many because sometimes the all means many and sometimes the all means everybody and sometimes the many means all and sometimes the many means some. So I hope you're as clear as I am on all that. That's the reality of it. So the first thing we have to keep in our minds is the commonality between Adam and Christ in the teaching of the Apostle Paul in what is alike. In other words, what is similar? What are the parallels? What is similar between Christ and Adam in the mind of the Apostle Paul as he's writing this. And the reality is that what Paul has as a commonality is just the principle of one man, one act, and many affected. That's the idea. That's the similarities. One man, one act, many are affected. In other words, Paul isn't saying that all of the details of Adam and Christ are similar that all of the details are alike. He's not saying any of that. What, only what is similar is simply the one man, the one act, and the many affected aspect. That's what's similar to this. That's the, that Paul's just using it when he says that he is a type of the one to come. When he's talking about the type, he's simply meaning that reality, the oneness aspect of one man, one act, many affected by the act. But the how, the how that takes place, the how that is given to anyone and the nature of the effect upon that one 
too many is totally different. In other words, how the death is passed to us is different than how eternal life is given to us. The one act of sin is completely opposite from the one act of obedience. The nature and the effect that is passed on is universal for one, but it's not universal for the other one. So we have to keep that in mind when we look at this or we're going to become very confused and oftentimes even heretical in how we speak about it. So let me say it as clear as I can. While Paul is declaring the universality of death through Adam, the universality, by that I mean everybody who's ever lived throughout the history from Adam until even to this day, there is a principle of death that is passed on to everybody through Adam. But Paul is not saying and declaring the universality of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when you read the terms all and many as referring to death, that is a universal reality. But when you read the all and the many as referring to eternal life, that isn't universal. While there are similarities, and they are very important, the one man, one act, many affected reality. What we want to focus our attention on this morning is the great contrast or the differences between the two. And all of these help us have a solid eternal security in our minds and our hearts. Let's just categorize these overall as the massive differences between Adam or being in Adam, let's put it that way, the massive differences about being in Adam with being in Christ. What are those massive differences? And we find those really in their their greatest sense right here in verses 15 through 17. Notice what he says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of God by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now, when we read that, immediately we notice a contrast is taking place. Paul wants to highlight a contrast. First contrast that I just want us to think about is this. There is a transgression on the one hand, and there is a free gift on the other hand. Let me just put it in the terms of Romans 6, verse 23. There is a wage on one hand, and there is a free gift on the other hand. There is something earned on the one hand, there is a free gift on the other hand. So when we think of Adam, we immediately think of sin. When we think of our first parents, we think of sin. We think of disobedience. We think of breaking the command of God that God had given to Adam. We think of disobedience. We think of a wage associated with that disobedience. What's the wage or the consequence of that sin? The answer, verse 15 tells us, By the transgression of the one, the many, what? Died. And so we hear it again. Paul keeps going back to this reality. Death is always a part of the punishment of sin in the ultimate sense. And so because of this one transgression, because Adam disobeyed God, many died. That's just a simple way of the Apostle Paul, by means of the Holy Spirit, leading him to say, when Adam sinned, 
we all sinned. Adam was our representative head. When Adam sinned, the consequences came upon us all. Adam was our representative head. God had given Adam the command of what he was to do and what would happen if he disobeyed it. He would be punished, and that punishment would be death. God subsequently, because of that, banished him from the garden, from the tree of life, so they wouldn't be confirmed in that position. And so when Adam did what was prohibited by God, he received for himself and for all of those whom he represented, which include you and I, he received the wages due for what he had done. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27, it has been appointed to man once to die and then judgment. But notice the opposite is the gift. The free gift, verse 15 says, is not like the transgression. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. And so you see, Paul, from the very wording that he is using here and the very comparison that is taking place, we are no longer in the place whereby something can be or is earned. Paul says the wage of the transgression is death, but a gift is not earned. Sin brings earned punishment, but the gift comes by grace. You cannot earn a gift, for it is not a gift. Here is the focus of Paul in this first difference, this first contrast. He says, in essence, there was something earned through Adam, but much more there is a gift through Jesus Christ. In other words, but much more there is something not earned through Jesus Christ. In other words, as one commentator put it, Adam did this, but Christ did much more. Adam's had an effect, but Christ's effect was much more. Christ's act had greater effectiveness. So, Paul is saying if one thing happened in Adam, so much more surely will happen in Jesus Christ. wage happened by way of Adam's sin, much more are we guaranteed, much more are we assured from Christ's obedience of the gift. And so the disobedient act of Adam brought the wage of death. The free gift of Christ not only frees us from the penalty that brought was brought through Adam's sin, but it takes us into the righteousness of Christ. It's so much more, isn't it? So much more. If death is certain in and through Adam, how much more is eternal life certain in and through Jesus Christ? And so this eternal life is a gift through grace. It is a not earned reality. We can think of it as the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones states it. He said it this way, quote, it is the grace of God that produces the much more. Unquote. It is the grace of God that produces the much more. We love to talk about grace We regularly in each other's lives hear about grace. We even think of it often. And yet, if the truth be told, we take the grace of God for granted as believers far too often, don't we? I mean, when we're living every day and we're sucking breath, as Randy said, into the lungs which God created, and yet we're abusing the grace of God, we're taking advantage of God's grace far too often. Why? Why do we do that? Because grace is so wonderful, isn't it? 
Grace is such a wonderful gift. Right? Grace, think about it. Grace is that attitude of God that leads him to be gracious toward those who do not deserve it. Grace is favor shown to those who do not deserve favor. Favor to those who actually deserve the exact opposite of favor. It is grace that leads to the gift. Paul says it. He reminds us of it. He he reminds us of that several times in just these few short verses. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace. Verse 15. Grace leads to that much more. And so once again we see the contrast that Paul is making. He is highlighting what what we got through Adam with the much more that we gain in Jesus Christ. It is not a wage. It is a gift of the grace of God. It is not earned. Then notice, the gift that Paul is referring to is not mentioned in verse 15. He says it's a gift by the grace of the man, the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to the many, but he doesn't mention the gift. But he does mention it in verse 17, in verse 18, in verse 21. For if by the transgression, verse 17, of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Verse 18, And so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 21, And so, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. There in the last verse, Paul links it all together. Grace, righteousness, eternal life. So what's the gift? The gift ultimately is eternal life that comes through grace, that comes through the gift of righteousness. So the first massive difference from Adam and Christ is this. One is a wage, the other is a gift. One is earned, the other is unearned. That's the first massive difference. There's a second massive difference that I want to highlight. And that is the consequence from the one contrasted with the consequence from the other. We've already talked about it a little bit. The consequence of one is the result of guilt. And the other's consequence is the result of innocence. Notice verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Right there again is the wording of contrast. Not like. The gift is not like the one what came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, here's the contrast being explained, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Now just for clarity here, when he speaks of the one transgression bringing judgment and condemnation, he's talking about Adam's sin. And yet later when he says, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, he's not talking about Adam's sin and the perpetual sins of everybody who's ever lived. He's talking about your sin. Yes, the guilt from Adam, but your continued sinfulness. Many transgressions. So on the one hand, you have condemnation because of guilt. And on the other hand, you have innocence by means of the gift. So what were the results of sin? Paul says in verse 16, the results of sin, the results of the one act of the one who sinned was judgment, which resulted in condemnation. Carries the idea of guilt. There is no judgment, there is no condemnation on the innocent. They're innocent. God does not condemn the innocent. So sin leads to judgment. And so from one sin, 
arose condemnation to all. But thank God that there is another side. Thank God that the period didn't end right there, that the, that, the, that the information we have didn't stop right there. Thank God that it does not simply say, for on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, period, point blank, there is no way out. Thank God it does not say that. Paul tells us that the free gift of God's grace results in innocence. On the other hand, verse 16, The free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Remember, justification declared innocence before God. So on the one hand, there's condemnation. In other words, there's guilt. But on the other hand, in spite of the many transgressions, meaning the many of my own transgressions, the many of your own transgressions, in spite of that, there is a declared righteousness. I hope you see that. I hope you understand that. I hope you realize that. It doesn't matter. All of us who know Christ by faith should be smiling because there's no better news than that. Whereas we were condemned because of the one sin of Adam, But when we come to be innocent through Jesus Christ by faith, we are not only declared innocent in respect to the one sin of Adam, but we are also innocent in respect to all the sins that we also have committed. In other words, by the work of Jesus Christ on our own behalf, we are not only delivered from what we inherited from our first parent, but we are also delivered from the guilt and penalty of all the sins which we ourselves have done against God or will ever do against God. So on the one hand, there's a wage, and on the other hand, and condemnation, those two on this one side, and on the other side, there is a gift and declared innocence by grace. Let's look at a third contrast. A third contrast between each. And that is what each of them brings with it. Notice verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will, notice, reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, we learn of condemnation. But here in verse 17, it's taken a step further by announcing the result of being condemned. What's the result of being condemned? What's the result of the judgment that produces that condemnation? What's the result of that? Death. Not just death, but death reigning. Once again, Paul brings up very bad news. Death reigns. That's the word for a king ruling the day. A king, a sovereign calling the shots. Death is ruling. Death is reigning. In fact, it says in Scripture that Satan has the power of death, that he holds everybody in fear of death. It's a sobering picture. Sobering picture. Death reigning. But just as diamonds shine brighter when they're placed on a, back, a black backdrop. When you go to the jewelry store, ladies, those, those salesmen know how to get you to like the diamond they want you to like, which is usually the most expensive one. They pull out their black piece of felt and put it down on the glass top and they put that diamond on top of that because on that black top, man, that diamond just shines. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. Here's the bad news, guys. Death is raining. Death is raining. But I want to give you some good news. I want to give you some good news. Death might be raining, but so does God's grace of life. Notice, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. 
On the one hand, death is reigning, but on the other side, righteous reign of life through Jesus Christ. And who is that for? Who gets to have that righteous reign of life? Notice it's not universal. Notice it isn't for everybody. No, it's only for those who what? Receive. Only for those who embrace. Right? It's much more for those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's only what is received through Jesus Christ. You cannot have salvation and circumvent a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot have eternal life without Jesus Christ. In other words, there's no other way. It's only embraced by faith. That's the only way to be innocent in God's eyes. Embrace the gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. What could be more opposite than though than the thing that is reigning? Death is reigning or life is reigning? Death is so devastating apart from Jesus Christ. On the one side, with Adam, we have a wage, we have condemnation, we have death. Yet on the other side, with Jesus Christ, we have the gift, we have justification, we have righteousness, we have the reigning of life. One is received by progeny. One is passed down through your own heritage, your genetics, the line of humanity. One is from the physical human realm. The other is received by faith. The other is spiritual. On the one side, you have your reality of being clothed in humanity by which death comes because of the one sin of our representative Father, and yet on the other side we are clothed in divinity by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Please don't go away and say, I said we're gods. We're not gods. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. We are clothed in divinity. The only righteousness God would ever accept is His own. And so when we are quickened to life by faith, we are not simply forgiven of our sin and returned to the righteousness of man before the fall. Some of you get confused when you think about Adam and Adam being created yet without sin. How could Adam fall? Listen, Adam had what some theologians refer to as a human righteousness. In other words, a righteousness that wasn't in the divine righteousness realm. It was created. It was an unfallen righteousness, and yet Adam fell, and he lost that righteousness. It isn't that that righteousness would have been acceptable forever. God only accepts his righteousness. Adam fell. We aren't returned to a human righteousness when we are forgiven. We are given Christ's righteousness. Praise God. So when we are quick into life, we are made righteous. We are given the righteousness of Christ, which could never fail. It could never fall. And so Paul summarizes all of it. Tries to encapsulate it all for us here in verses 18 through 21. Notice what he says. So then, right? Let me summarize it. That's that's kind of the idea. So then, let me summarize it for you. As through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. That's a universal idea. It passed down to all of humanity. There's no one outside of that. Even so, through the one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. That's not universal. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many, that's universal, were made sinners, even through the obedience of the one, the many, that's not universal, will be made righteous. You see, we don't just simply have the righteousness of Christ 
we are, as Paul says here in verse 18 or verse 19, we are made righteous. We are made righteous. I love that. Justification by faith leads to certain absolute results. Certain absolute unchanging results because they all come from God. Those results have been patently clear to us since verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says that we, having been justified, that is, having been declared innocent by God, we have been declared innocent. It isn't that someday boy will stand before God and will be declared innocent. No, we have been declared innocent before God. We have been justified. Therefore, if we have been justified, we have, as Paul said, peace with God through Jesus Christ. We stand in that access. We stand in that grace that we have been given. We boast in the glory to come, the glory of ourselves, the glorification of Christ to the fullest extent in our eyes. We boast in our tribulations. Why? Because they produce in us a greater and greater hope of the glory to come. Boast in God for the reconciliation that He gave us. In other words, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are absolutely secure in Christ. So if we are justified by God through Christ, then our final salvation is certain and nothing can remove us from it. Nothing. In fact, here's how Paul is going to say it. In chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, or I'm sorry, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love when he says that. Nor any other created thing. All the things he listed prior to that are all created. If you want to add some other created thing to the list, go ahead and add it to the list because that will be there too. No other created thing. The only one that could separate you from the love of God is that which was never created. Who is who? God. God. So who are the us in Paul's words in chapter 8 and verse 38 and 39? That nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Who are the us? They are those who have been justified by God through Jesus Christ. So if you struggle with assurance... If eternal security is something you you wrestle with in your mind, then I say to you, return to this text and read it again and read it again and read it again and read it again. Paul is not wanting us to walk away from this unsecure. As if maybe, somehow, in some way, I could remove myself by some misstep trusting in Jesus Christ as my only security. Listen, if you struggle with eternal security, carry this principle through in your mind. There is a massive difference with being in Adam and being in Christ. Massive. And verses 18 and 19 condense all of that for us. Paul just condenses it all right down. Even so, through the one act of righteousness, there results justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many, that is universal, were made sinners. Even so, through the the obedience of the one, the many, that's not universal, that's those who have faith in Jesus Christ, will be made righteous. Notice you don't become righteous, you're made righteous. You're made righteous. So because of the one sin of Adam, each and every one of us along with all of humanity is counted guilty as sinners before God. 
because of the one sin, condemnation is pronounced upon us all. That's on the one side of the grand truth. But it's carried over to the second part in verse 19. And many will be made righteous. What Paul is trying to get us to understand here is that it wasn't simply that we were placed in the category even though we were not that category. In other words, in Adam, we weren't simply placed in the guilty category even though we weren't guilty in that category. No, we were guilty in Adam. That was us. And we were... We are in that position without Jesus Christ. And on the other side, the glorious truth of the other side is not that we're in a category of righteousness, but we are righteous before God. We're made righteous. We, by faith, are not simply placed into a category of righteousness and thereby God accepts us because we're in this category that He happened to and His graciousness place us in, which would be a great thing. No, He's gone way beyond that. We are made righteous in Christ. And all of the benefits come to us because of the obedience of Christ, the one who obeyed. Therefore, Salvation is entirely of Him. It is entirely from Him. It is entirely in Him in the same way as being constituted a sinner because we are in Adam, from Adam. All of our righteousness comes only from Jesus Christ alone. So here is Paul's whole emphasis. If you want to have assurance of your salvation, The place to start is not with how you feel. If you want to have assurance of your, of your salvation, the place to start is not run to your feelings. The place to start is with your understanding of this wonderful truth. And when you begin to understand that, guess what happens with your feelings? They begin to follow. When you understand the character of God, the nature of God, the gift of God, what God has accomplished, what God has made you by faith in Jesus Christ, you, you begin to have that truth solidified in your heart and your mind. Your feelings begin to follow. Don't run to your feelings first. Your feelings will change by a whole host of things. The way to have assurance is not to run to subjective feelings. The way to have assurance is to run and rest in the objective truth of the Word of God. Because of Adam, you are declared guilty before God, and yet because of Christ, you are declared innocent if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Whereby before faith in Christ, you were condemned as a sinner, now you are innocent. Now you are righteous before God. One results in death, the other results in life. Abundant life and superabounding life to all eternity. I know someone's going to come and say, but what if I sin today or tomorrow? What if I still sin? Well, listen. I'll just say it this way. You can't sin your way out of salvation. You can't sin your way out of salvation. But why would you choose to sin when you are equipped for walking in righteousness? You're secure in Christ. How foolish is it to just go on sinning? Where you sin, Paul says in verse 20 and 21, grace abounds all the more. In other words, there's grace there. But don't abuse the grace of God. You have not been made righteous so that you are now free to go on sinning however you want. That's the idea. You have been freed from sin so that you might live righteously. 
It's all about righteousness. Verse 17 talks about righteousness. Verse 18 talks about righteousness. Verse 19 through 21 talk about righteousness. You've been made righteous. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see? It's all about righteousness. So who are you in? That's the question. If you want to continue in sin and go on sinning, you potentially and even are showing yourself to still be in Adam. You're not in Christ, regardless if you say you're in Christ. We're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about you'll never sin. We're talking about what do you do when you do sin. Who are you in, Adam or Christ? God makes us righteous if we know Christ. And our desires that He would have for us and our desires ought to be that we would live righteousness. In fact, this is exactly what Paul's going to get into in chapter 6. So what do we say? If we're justified by faith, if we live in grace, if God has declared us innocent, if we are made righteous, then what do we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? No. No. So we're going to get into that practical side now. Paul says, listen, that's foolish thinking. That's, that's ridiculous thinking. You're not to live that way. But we'll get to that next time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of eternal security. Genuine, true, real, eternal security in Jesus Christ because you are who you said you are. Because your word is true. Because nothing thwarts your plan. Because you accomplish all things that you set forth to accomplish. Because there's no way for us to remove ourselves from it. You're the only one who could remove condemnation. You're the only one who could declare innocent those that do not deserve it. And so Jesus Christ came and through his one act righteousness, obedience to you fully. Those who trust Jesus Christ are made righteous, declared innocent before you, equipped with the Spirit in order to obey. Death no longer reigns. Now we simply live as slaves of righteousness. Let us do that, Father, to your glory. Thank you for this doctrine that helps us Thank you for the wisdom that we learn from even the difficult structures of grammar that cause our minds to be twisted and yet we don't ever want to contradict what you're saying in our heart, in our words, or with our life. Help us walk in obedience to you, we pray this day in Jesus' name.